Hi everybody, how's everybody doing? Hope everyone's had a good week, what, five? In quarantine? And is keeping all their marbles intact? I know we are. We're feeling fabulous on this end. We'll give people a minute to, uh, to key in. Hi guys. Hello. Nice to see you all. Wow, North Carolina. Hi, running girl. Marbles are intact. That's good. That's a good start, man. I hope everybody's marbles are intact. We're gonna need that. Um, hi, Shane. <laughs> Julie says hi, Shane. Garrett. I will tell you that. Kimmy! Kimmy from Virginia! <laughs> Holla! Um, so I, I posted some, uh, some uh, queries for some questions, but the one I got most frequently for those of you who are joining us now, um, since we're talking about parenting, had to do with the puppy I was holding in a video yesterday. Um, and uh, that is... Our son, George, his girlfriend, Lauren's dog, Lucy, who is not a puppy, in fact. Yesterday was, in fact, her second birthday, and she was nice enough to hang out with me for about a third or so of my one-minute video. Um, but Lucy's awesome. We love her, and, um, and she has the most soulful, mournful eyes and she will own you in a heartbeat. So be very careful. If you don't want to fall in love with a dog, do not come over. Mm -hmm. The quarantine is probably the best thing for you. Stay away, because Lucy will own you. Lock, sack, and barrel, chapter and verse. Name your adage here. What do you think? Can I just go? Yeah, I'm just going to go. go. We're going to go. Okay, so um, I've been wondering to myself, why am I doing this? Like, I think we've heard enough of therapists on Instagram Live. We probably don't need another voice chiming in. Um, so here's the deal. Um, some clients of mine and people I know have said, hey, you know some things about parenting. Do one of these things specifically for parents so we can chime in, we can listen, and maybe ask a few questions. Um, and just to give you a little background, if you don't know me, I am a psychologist, I'm a therapist. I'm actually in my office now, or I'm across the hall from my office, and I, I've been working lately, since the beginning of the quarantine, with kids and families for, um, for 25 years, but in the last month, um, more so, right, Julie? Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're all super thrilled about it. Um, so uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments about what's going on in families or in parenting in this quarantine period, go ahead and let us know. In the meantime, I'm just going to go ahead and answer a few. And somebody wrote something I really like at the front end, and I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But one thing I want to point out, just broadly speaking, is I noticed that week by week by week, 
this changes. What I'm saying is changing. What people in my field are saying is changing. The advice I had three weeks ago for the way we ought to behave at home with our families during the quarantine no longer holds at all. And I would imagine if we're here three weeks from now, it's going to change too. But one thing I can tell you right now is if there was any novelty to this period whatsoever at the onset, that's gone. People are no longer just adapting and adjusting. People are tired of it. People are irritable, anxious, um, and I'm seeing like depression rise kind of globally across families that I'm working with. Um, and the other thing I'm probably going to touch on more than once tonight is there is no right way to do this. So we're all inventing the wheel. So if you're judging yourself in any way, I want you to relinquish that right off the bat here. Okay, so with that being said, let's go to the top 10 list. Um, potential topic for you to cover, Dr. Duffy. People feeling bad about feeling bad. So many other people have it so much worse, we're thinking. They're out of work, they're sick. Are we entitled to be struggling with this? And why do we feel bad about it if we're not? Um, listen, you have permission to feel bad. Um, we all are struggling in our own ways. I've mentioned last time I did this, I've mentioned in all the media I've done, we started this idling high. We're all anxious. So even those of us who feel like, I think I'm handling this pretty well, I think you'll recognize you're out of sorts, you're out of rhythm, at least some of the time, we're all anxious, we all know that there's something pretty horrible going on. So um, let's give each other permission to feel badly. This is a hard thing. You know, none of us has ever been through anything like this before. And I always am reticent to let anybody I'm working with compare their suffering to somebody else's because you're always going to find somebody who is in darker straits, right? And then you, you somehow take away from your ability to feel badly. And that's not reasonable. That's not a reasonable way to go through this period because we all feel badly. So if you don't have permission to do that, you're just going to get more anxious. And we're not going to do our best parenting when we're anxious, but we're also entitled to the way we feel, period. And that said, Julie Duffy had a very good add-on question to that. Are we allowed to feel good during this period? So in almost every session that I'm having, they're all virtual sessions with families, I get somebody kind of coming in close to the camera and saying, I don't hate this as much as I should. I should probably be pretty miserable here. Um, and the truth is, you know what? I, I've watched a lot of press conferences. I've talked to a lot of other therapists. There is no mandate that you be miserable here. So if you find that you are enjoying some of the solitude or enjoying hanging out with your family, enjoying some of this time, that's okay, man. You can, you can do that. That's I'm doing some of that, right? I'm enjoying some of this time. And I've decided very clearly guilt, shame doesn't have any place here. You know what I mean? And Guilting and shaming anybody else for what they're going through also doesn't have any place. Keep in mind, none of us knows what we're doing here. We are inventing the wheel, you know? Like, I've combed through the literature in my field to see, is there anything I can tap that's like this that I can kind of, like, borrow from? Well, there isn't. So, uh, save your Googling. I've already done it. Um, okay, we covered that pretty well? Yeah. 
right, moving on. Not cool, Bob. What's up, dude? Uh, please talk about college kids giving up their newfound independence on campus and returning home to be confined with their parents amidst uncertainty about, the fear, about their future with all the accompanying stresses, anxieties, and momentary temptations to throw chairs for all concerned. So what about our kids who are home from college and, um, and they're anxious and they're missing out and life kind of sucks and it's not that fun to be with them? What do we do with these kids? Um, I'm going to repeat what I said a minute ago. None of us knows how to do this very well, but put yourself in your college senior, junior, freshman, sophomore shoes for just a minute. Think about how much of a drag this is. If you feel like they don't want to be around you right now, they probably legit don't want to be around you right now. There is no crime in that. So don't take that personally, right? You probably, when you were in college, didn't suddenly want to spend a month with your parents 24-7, right? So allow them some birth, allow them some room. Again, the novelty has run out of this and they're tired of being away from their friends, away from their families. Um, and we, we talk a lot, just parenthetically, uh, in the last few weeks about all these rituals that the class of 2020, for example, is missing out on graduation and proms and the last game of the season and all this other stuff. And I brought this up to some kids I'm working with, including college students. And some of them are saying, I just miss being around people. I miss being around people my age. I had a crush on somebody. I was interested in somebody before all this started. And now I, I, I'm not going to Snapchat them. I don't know them well enough. So now I just have to wait and maybe nothing's going to happen. So there is some ordinary life that they were experiencing and really counting on continuing that just stopped cold. So allow them some birth to be bummed and to be grieving this time because a lot of what they're going through really is legitimate grief. And I've had parents in my office virtually say, I don't like that my kid's grieving. I mean, there, there are people who are um, sick and dying during this period. And my kid's grieving, you know, you know, a couple of fraternity parties and the end of the year event. Really? Yeah, really. This is hard for them. Just like it's hard for you in ways that you didn't anticipate, this is hard for them. So give them some birth to talk about that. And if they don't want to talk about it, let them know you're available to do so. That available has a little trademark next to it. You're available to do so when they want to. And they may never take you up on it, and they may. Make sense? Yes. Cool. Oh, thank you, Julie. <laughs> Julie's weighing in. Um, okay. Moving on. E-learning is a struggle for my kids and for me. It's messy, inconsistent, and disorganized, and my kids seem disconnected from it. Yeah. That's all true. Um, E-learning is messy. And I've talked to a bunch of families and a few teachers and administrators about this very thing, and they would all agree. And I think the conventional wisdom in this moment would suggest it's there really to provide a little bit of structure for your kids over the course of the day. Do, does anybody really think that your fourth grader or your sophomore in high school is going to um, amass a whole new bunch of information in the next six weeks. No, 
Nobody's expecting that. So if you're carrying that pressure and you suddenly feel like I should be like a teacher now, you know, I really, I really need to be able to be a homeschooler and be very effective at this and get my kids to focus and concentrate for a few hours straight in a day. Hey man, if you're making that happen, kudos to you. It's not necessary. My strong bias is to take the pressure off that if there's some learning, some reading assignments or a couple other assignments that you can get your kids to do, great. Have them do it. Build that structure. But keep in mind, your kids are learning a whole bunch of stuff during this time that has nothing to do with school learning, but they're learning a lot about resilience and the human spirit and a whole bunch of other things. And school will come along and will adapt. I mean, some of the people I've talked to in education have said, the e-learning system is something that would normally take seven to 10 years to effectively put into place. And we did it in about two weeks. So we know it is bug riddled and we don't expect any family to be perfect. So if you're putting a lot of pressure on your kids, you know, and you're mad at them because they're not doing their homework for hours a day, I would say and with all sincerity, for the sake of all of you, for the sake of the sanity of your home, lighten that up. That is unnecessary, that gets that doesn't move the ball forward. And there is underneath all this an opportunity to foster a little more connection between you and your kid and to be the gatekeeper that's pressing them into more and more homework during this time. The rules are out the window on that. And I would really, really lighten way back up and sit down and talk to them about like what's reasonable here? What can we reasonably get done and still like enjoy some of this time because we get like, this is super hard. And it is legitimately super hard. Um, okay. How are we doing, Julie? Good. All right. Uh, next. Did I say describe those sheltered home situations that are, oh, there's no, no. This, is, this, is, this is important. Describe, discuss, discuss. I'm gonna take some reading lessons before the next one. <laughs> Discuss those shelter-at-home situations that are not so positive, where families are not making the best of it and are not playing games together and having stimulating conversations, where teenage doors are shut and they are unapproachable despite all our parental best efforts. That happy home quarantine life is not everybody's reality. It might be helpful to hear advice on how to navigate the not-so-positive situations. Um, truth is, I've been talking to a lot of families, as you guys know, um, most situations, the vast majority, are not so positive situations. None of us, including your kids and including you, intended to be doing this and intended to be here, right? So if your kid was surly and ornery and going through the normal process of adolescence before all this, that's probably still happening. You're not raising a monster. They're just sick of it. They're probably sick of you, and that's okay. You can even validate that with a little bit of humor. You can say, are you as sick of me as I am of you? Like I had, I had parents do that the other day and it worked beautifully. It was like, you know, oh God, you feel it too? Yeah, I hate this. And you know, everybody in most households hates this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working with kids who, you know, when they're on, so I have a family sitting on a couch on a call and suddenly, you know, the 14 year old is upside down on her phone and the parents are like, will you please be respectful while we're talking to Dr. Duffy? And I'm kind of like, oh God, no, who cares? Let it be. You know what I mean? Like this is such a weird time. It's okay. 
we will reinvent the rule book when things go back to something akin to normal. So don't judge yourself. Don't judge your family for the way you're handling this time. If you are safe and you are healthy and you are sheltering in place and you're eating meals and, um, and you're making it day to day, give yourself a pat on the back. That's winning. If you're having some arguments every day, if your kid's door is shut, it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. You might take the opportunity, if you get it, to sit down with them and be a little meta, communicate with them in a different way than you might otherwise, bring a little humor into it, and talk a lot about what this is like for you because chances are, if you're unhappy with how things are going at home, they feel that way too, and they'll feel validated, and they'll feel heard, and they might talk to you a little bit, and they might tell you, you know, F off, please get out of my room. I'm gonna be nice about it, <laughs> you know? Either way, it's okay, it really is. Again, I'll repeat what I said earlier. Um, I don't think there's any need or room for you to judge each other. This view thing, do I touch that? What? Somebody somebody wants in. And I can't tell if I'm supposed to do something. Oh, Whoops. Nope, okay. Sorry. I'm really very, very savvy with this. I've done this <laughs> already, twice already. Um, so I hope that answers uh, that question because just to, just to linger there for a second, a lot of us are carrying these shoulds around, you know? We should be connecting. We should be doing projects together. We should be building puzzles. I hear there are families building the puzzles. We should be doing that and sitting down and having meals together. Please don't judge yourself based on what other families are doing. And between you and me, I know a lot of families, when they were doing the puzzles, that was week one, okay? You know, the puzzles are being thrown against the wall right now. <laughs> so so give yourselves a break. If your kid has, a, you know, the joystick for the Xbox in their hand right now, that's okay. It really is. If they're playing for five hours a day, I'm telling you, three weeks ago, I would have been like, oh, my God, you've got to do something about that. That's very dangerous. Now I'm like, if they're safe and then they're in a house, it's fine. There are no shoulds. Don't judge your family based on what you think is going on in other homes because trust me, I'm working with some other homes. It's a mess there too. So it is hard. If you've got multiple kids, if you've got one kid, this is hard. It's arduous and none of us really wanted it, asked for it. And if you're not getting the quality time that you think is out there, it's fine. It's okay. You can have it later. You're not running out of opportunities, I promise you. Um, Okay, uh, my 16-year-old son doesn't seem to care about any of this, and it kind of worries me. Is he repressing his feelings, or have we raised somebody who has no empathy? Your child definitely is a sociopath and has no empathy. Totally kidding. Um, no, I work with a lot of kids who, on first blush, seem like they do not care about this. And I'll ask them. I ask every kid, like, you know, boy, you seem kind of unaffected by the fact that we're in a global pandemic. And kids will tell me, and this is pretty true almost across, virtually across the board. They'll say, yeah, I know, I, I, I do feel some of that, but really like, I'm freaked out, I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of getting sick myself, and I don't talk about this a whole lot, but my parents are older, my grandparents are really old, and I'm hearing that I could be a carrier of this thing, 
and I could make them sick. I could kill my grandmother. I mean, I had a boy really literally say that to me, like, you know, I'm afraid that's going to happen. And then I'm going to feel guilty about this for my whole life. So I'm actually really freaked out. And that's why I'm kind of like really like isolating myself because I'm worried about this. So no, if your kid's not talking about this, that doesn't mean they're not concerned about it. It's on their minds. And I'm going to remind you that your kid probably has access to all the numbers, all the data, all the information. They know what's going on. They're well aware. They're probably amassing that data, thinking this stuff through, Snapchatting with their friends, talking about this during video games, talking about it on FaceTime. They're processing this stuff as they go. Are they showing you this in real time? No, kids don't always invest and talk to their parents when they're concerned about something. They often go to their friends. That's a pretty normal thing to do. It's probably what you did when you were 14, 16, 18 years old, right? So there are no shoulds there either. And your your kids definitely have empathy, but they also have a life. So this isn't all that's on their mind. They have a lot of other things on their mind. They miss being with their friends. The kids who most wanted to be out of school before this all happened, they're getting sick of everything. They're getting sick of their family. They're sick of all the distractions. They're sick of Snapchat and TikTok and every video game. They're just stir crazy and they're really irritable and anxious. So recognize that they are their age, whatever age your, your kids are, and they are struggling through this time trying to hold it together as best they can. So your kid who seems to lack empathy is probably going to lose it sometimes, maybe every single day. That is legit. That is legit for them to lose it. It is absolutely appropriate, just like you feel like losing it on occasion. And I'll admit that I've gotten a little choked up here and there. So um, allow them the breadth and the space to do that. And part of that is to emote a little bit yourself. Let them know how you're feeling too and that you're all getting stir crazy and this is amplifying anxiety and irritability and the difficulty of getting along together. Make sense? Julie, how are we doing? Good. Okay. Um, how about college seniors? Crushed about their remaining time on campus, canceled due to coronavirus. I'd love to be directed to useful ways I can help my daughter move through the grief. Thank you. Um, I love the way that question is worded. I like that phrase, move through the grief, because it suggests the answer. Um, so many parents that I'm working with are checking the websites of the colleges and the high schools, especially if you have a senior, seeing like, what are the odds? What are the odds we can get back on that campus um, and they can have the last week and have some fun? or have a party or two, or have graduation, or maybe have a prom or a dance or something, some kind of ritual. Can we get recoup some of that back? So a lot of us are trying to make this happen for our kids, right? And really hoping more and more as time goes on, hoping against hope that something's gonna happen on those campuses, right? Um, but the truth is no matter what happens, your child is grieving. If your child is a senior in anything, if your child's in eighth grade, your child's grieving. And the truth is, if your child's a sophomore, your child's grieving. This is a grief-stricken time for all of them. They're all missing out on something massive. And every single little rite of passage, not just the ones we've been talking about, 
because a lot of kids say to me, oh, if graduation didn't happen, I'd be okay with that. I don't know if my parents would be okay with that, but I'd be okay with that. I want my last lacrosse game. I want one, one of those. I want a dance. I want to be able to see my friends in that setting one more time again. So don't presume that you understand the nature of your child's loss. Let them talk about it, you know, because it might not be what you think it is. And you probably have to think about the differential between what you're missing out on, which is a lot. And I feel for you parents, man, you parents of kids of any age, but you parents of seniors, oh, Julie, don't you agree? Our hearts break yes. for you. You know what I mean? Like we have had a senior. We know what it's like to feel all those rites and rituals. And we're, we've talked about it, Julie and I, and like what it's like, or what it must be like to know, oh, we're not, we're not going to get those. We're not going to get that picture. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to have that memory that, you know, it, we pictured when they were born, you know, like that we, we've always thought was coming. So recognize that your grief and their grief is different. But to help your daughter move through the grief, the best you can do is sit with her. Sit in it with her, let her talk it through, acknowledge it. Do not try to talk her out of it. Acknowledge every word of it, even if it's something you think is ridiculous. Recognize she's probably not feeling it if it's not genuine and real to her. And do not presume you understand or know what it is. Make sense? I don't know why I expect you guys to respond. I don't know. I'm used to a live audience. I don't know. Um, okay. Let's move on. Are you seeing anything that we should be touching on here? Um, well, someone just said my daughter is in fifth and missing her last elementary, like uh, last elementary year. Our son is so sad. He may not see his current eighth grade friends again. Yeah, you guys, you're so right. I mean, you know, so right. It doesn't have to be senior stuff, right? You've got these, these things that you know your kids are grieving and it is super sad. And the best you can do is sit with them in the sadness because, it's real. It's not something that's manufactured. Just as a therapist, this is particularly tricky because so many things that kids typically are sad about or are anxious about, upset about, there's a solution. There's something we can do as parents, as therapists, as teachers and helpers of some kind. This, you just have to let them feel it, you know? And that's so brutal. I think it's way harder. I think you guys have the hardest job you're gonna have in parenting right now in acknowledging your child's pain. And to borrow a phrase from Glennon Doyle, if, you, if anybody's read her most recent book, we can do hard things. So it's okay to say, you know, you're gonna make it through this and we can make it through hard things, but don't be dismissive of the hard things because yes, they're gonna make it through it by and large, right? But it's still really, really hard. It's hard for them and it's hard for you, and even, even your, your fifth grader, your son is so sad, missing those current eighth grade friends, that is heartbreaking, right? And he's probably not gonna see them in that context again. And you can set up some Zoom calls and he can talk to them, but there's something about the setting, there's something about the rites and the rituals and the ordinariness of just hanging out that your kids are missing out on for a really prolonged period of time. I don't know what the long-term impact of that is going to be on our kids, but I know that if we allow them to feel what they feel, it's going to be better. You know what I mean? It's going to be way better than it would be otherwise. Um, okay. Um, moving on for just a second. 
To what degree should we be planning our days instead of letting our teenagers play video games and be on social media? Um, should we monitor their bedtimes and wake times? Um, this is a question that I swear to you, if this were three weeks ago, I would be answering in a completely different way. And I would say, absolutely. Build as much structure into the day as you can. Kids need structure. They thrive on structure. And in especially in difficult times, they need structure. Um, I've learned as I've gone here. And I've worked with enough families to know it, for you parents, it is an unreasonable expectation. So if your kids are if your kids are up till midnight when they're typically going to bed at 9:30 and they're getting up and they're getting a little bit of work done and they're making it through the day and they seem um, reasonably emotionally intact, you're fine. You're fine. We'll adjust it on the back end. I will join you right here. And once the curve flattens, we'll figure it all out. We will, we will pick up the pieces on the back end. If your kid is playing, I mean, I, a few weeks ago, was saying anything more than two hours a day on screens, that is dangerous. And it is far more likely to foster depression, anxiety, attention issues, even suicidal ideation. And that was true then. Now, your kid needs those screens. I'm so grateful that these screens are here for our kids because this is their only way of connecting with their friends. What, what a, I'm, I'm glad that this is happening at this time if this has to happen, right? Um, so I don't think you have to over-monitor bedtimes or wake times. Um, you know, if you think it's way beyond the pale and you see it in your kid, then roll back the bedtime a little while. But don't expect that your kids are going to go to bed and wake up at the same time as they did ordinarily. Don't expect that your kid's going to jump on the chores and the work in the same time that they do ordinarily. This, there's nothing ordinary about this time. So give yourself a parenting break. And if there's a little chaos in the home and it feels a little bit like a jungle run amok, that's okay for now. If it's messy and it's not a place you would ever have people in there, that's okay for now. Julie, you uh, seem like you have something on your no, mind. No, so um, Sheila just asked, should I expect my, we've kind of addressed it, but should, should I expect my high school son to be mastering all of his classes? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Sheila. <laughs> I, I expect that um, he should be actually ramping up into AP classes. At, no, to be uh, really, really honest. And I talked about this a little while um, before, um, but to be really, really clear, no. Do not expect your son to master classes. The classes aren't built yet to be mastered. I've talked to enough educators to know what they're trying to do is provide a little bit of structure, a little bit of something for your kids to chew on and to learn in these next six or eight weeks, however long their semester or quarter goes. Um, that is all you need to encourage your son to do. And he will be fine. And he's learning a lot of other lessons besides mastering his classes. If he's inclined, I work with a couple of kids who seem to be more inclined because they're bored to do some schoolwork. So if he's inclined, fine. I would let the line out and say, okay, if you want to spend three hours a day, five, six hours a day doing some classwork, that's fine. I'm working with more kids, to be honest with you, who are taking like online classes and something completely different. Some kids are learning how to play instruments. Some kids are learning to get better at some of the video games they're playing. If I'm being perfectly honest, um, they're taking like these, 
online tutorials. Some kids are learning to type faster. Um, all that is fine. You know what I mean? And if your child is not really plugged into the classes and just barely kind of phoning in the homework, it's not great. We're going to have to learn better habits in a few months here. But for now, keep in mind what the goals are for right now. We are sheltering in place. We're doing a really good thing. We're taking care of each other. We're safe and we're healthy as best as we can be. We're taking care of other people as best as we can. And there's a huge lesson for kids just in that. There's a big lesson in just being away from your friends for months, right? This is going to be months at the back end. And they do not have to master classes. They are not expected to. Your child's school, I promise you, when the school board is meeting in public, in, in private rather, when nobody's around, they are very fully well aware that kids are not going to be mastering calculus during this time. It's not going to happen. Okay, on that note, um, question. My 13-year-old son wants TikTok. I would never have said yes, but then this happened. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I get the reservations about TikTok. I share them. I think um, we've all heard the horror stories about what TikTok can be. Um, but there's never, to be really honest, been a better time to allow your child to get started on a social media platform than right now for a number of reasons. First off, your kids are bored. Um, second off, a lot of kids on TikTok are doing really clever, creative things. They're not just like disrobing or whatever it is you're reading about, like, you know, in the margins that's happening on TikTok. And you can monitor what's going on. So you can say, okay, well, I want to see what you're, what you're putting together. And he or she may be putting together something really, really clever. Kids are getting bored and super creative. Some of my clients are doing the coolest things on TikTok. So um, my bias would be, if he, if he or she is, a, is a, do you remember if it's a boy or girl, Julie? It doesn't um, matter. If he or she is son, it's a son. If your guy um, wants to download TikTok, my bias would be unless you have personally a real problem with it, now's the time. I would say I'm going to be watching, so make sure what you put up there is appropriate, um, and make sure he allows you to follow him, and then um, yeah, uh, I kind of. Keep tabs on, on what he's doing. It might be kind of cool. So um, I would pay attention to it. And a lot of kids are able to pass the time. And this is part of the struggle here, right? Is like kids are running out of ways to pass the time. And I know, I know that is a luxury in so many ways. But if you add the anxiety, the heightened anxiety of the moment and how hard it is to conceptualize a global pandemic and how hard it is to get in your mind I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know when I'm going to lay eyes literally on my friends again. Yeah, I think your kid can have TikTok. Absolutely. Um, okay, thoughts on a four-year-old who is scared to go outside because of COVID? Yeah, man, this this I worry about over time. Um, so I assume you guys can hear, Julie, thoughts on a four-year-old who is afraid to go outside because of COVID. Um, over time, I think some of these... Um, compulsions that we are, uh, we have to teach our kids, right? Because they, this is what, how we keep safe, right? Um, going outside could potentially be dangerous. Being around other people could certainly be dangerous. And um, being in school could be dangerous. Um, not washing your hands, um, all this stuff, all this vigilance, right? So um, we're teaching kids to some degree, yeah, you need to be a little bit anxious and you need to be paying attention to all of this stuff. 
Um, with your four-year-old, I would um, gradually ease him or her outside. In other words, so the way I treat something, so you're describing something akin to a phobia, which by the way, a lot of you are probably nodding right now because you recognize, oh yeah, my kid has some of this too, or I'm starting to have some of this. You know, like a lot of adults have come to me and said like, I'm nervous to go outside. I can't breathe in the grocery store. I don't know what to do with myself when I'm at home. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm tired of scanning for symptoms and washing my hands constantly. So um, the way we typically treat something like this, you can do it in the luxury of your own front door or back door. So you can show your child, oh, it is okay to be outside. It is safe to be outside. And I'm going to take three steps out and you'll see, I'm going to be fine and go take a couple of steps out, take a couple of deep breaths and then go back inside. Say, did you see, did you see I was fine? And then say, hey, listen, if you're okay with it, let's go out together. You hold my hand, we'll both go outside together. We'll just go a couple steps, and then when you're comfortable, we'll come right back in, when you're, if you feel the least bit uncomfortable. And ease his or her way outside, and let them know really clearly, like, being outside in and of itself, that's not dangerous. You're okay being outside. And eventually, you're gonna be okay being around other people. So you kind of want to get into your kids' minds as best you can and don't underestimate the mind of a four-year-old or a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old that this isn't forever. So eventually, all the stuff that you're used to is by and large going to come back into your life. So see if you can get them to compartmentalize this time a little bit so that they don't hang on to some of these phobic thoughts. Does that make sense? So let them encourage them to come outside and count the seconds and, you know, have a little, build a little reward system in there for like spending some time outside because effectively you are the psychologist and you are treating the phobia. And I guarantee you within a day or two of this, uh, and I wouldn't do it for hours a day. I would do it a couple of times a day within a day or two, he or she will be out in the yard and very comfortable. Okay. But I would not let a whole lot of time pass before you address it because that fear tends to mount with less time outside and more time inside. You get more and more insular. We all do this in our thinking. Our fear becomes more and more insular and that's how we become kind of housebound or, you know, we refuse to go to school for some kids, you know? So that's where, you know, that whole agoraphobia comes in and we want to avoid that. What do you got, babe? Um, my daughter is an only child and 11 years old. She does FaceTime and such, but what impacts will this have on her social? Any other suggestions? Yeah. Um, listen, uh, I think all that most kids can do is, in terms of connecting with their friends, is is social, you know, social media by and large. Um, so there's not much more you can do. Uh, I am working with some kids who have best friends or really, really close friends, and they will arrange, um, but this is always monitored by adults, they'll arrange like a through the window meeting at somebody's house, like somebody rides over to somebody's house with their mom or dad, and they can hang out and see their friends face to face, just like some people do with their grandparents, and hang out for a while, and even play a video game or something like that. So, so you might wanna be clever if there's somebody in particular your child misses that wants to see them, you might arrange for them to be able to see each other face to face. Some of the kids I've worked with have really 
enjoyed this and it's carried them through a lot of days to be able to go back and forth between each other's houses and laugh about the idea like we're we're doing this virtually like through the glass and you know and we'll play the game or we'll FaceTime we'll talk to each other so we can hear each other and it's kind of one kid said it's kind of like you know like walkie talkies used to be but we can see each other so it's really kind of fun so you might arrange something face to face but I wouldn't push it I'd be really clear with your kids that, you know, like, hey, the social distancing thing is painful, it's really hard, and it's really, really important because Longview guys, think about the fact, picture how your kids are going to remember this for the rest of their lives, and I think you want them to remember, you know, hey, I did the right thing. My family did the right thing. And they're, that, that's going to have a lot of weight for them as they get older. You have another one? Yeah. Way to go. Um, Thanks, you guys, for the questions. How do, good. I, how do I manage my own anxiety? Oof. I go to the grocery store and I come home and we disinfect everything. That's what I do. Julie does that. <laughs> um, how, do, how do I continue to keep our family safe but also keep the kids safe emotionally? Oh, the, that is the greatest question, right? Because this is the needle we're all trying to thread, right? We all want our... We're all paying attention to two curves. See, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm putting my patented curve. I knew I'd fit it in here. Yes. My, my patented second curve. So we're attending to. We don't want to land our family anywhere on the coronavirus curve, right? We want to do our job in flattening that curve, and we also want to attend to the curve that reflects our emotional distress or emotional wellness right behind that, right? And we want our kids as emotionally intact through an emotionally messed up process as they possibly can be. So how do we do that? Um, part of that is to show your own anxious hand a little bit and to let your kids know how you are navigating this. And a lot of parents would say, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna let my kids know I'm scared. That's just gonna make them more scared. I hear this from fam families. I heard this from parents today that, you know, like, are you, are you sure that that's a good idea? I am sure that that's a good idea. Your kids know what's going on. They know you're scared. We all are. We all are anxious. We're all off our game. We're all sheltering in place. This is the weirdest time in your child's life, might be the weirdest time in your life. Let's face it, they're keenly aware of it. So share a little bit about your process of what you're going through in terms of your anxiety and ask them about theirs as well. Um, so let them talk about how they feel, what their fears are about the first curve, um, and really point out that all the stuff that we're asking them to do is just about safety and just about right now, but things are gonna be okay and things are gonna be normal in the not too distant future. That's a really important set of messages to deliver your kids. I know it feels like threading a needle, but the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. I think Maybe I one last one. touched on all those. Uh, last one. Last two. Um, my son says he can only th this, this I'm going to bring up because, um, I think a lot of people are dealing with this and not saying so. So my son says he can only make it through his boredom if he smokes pot. Do we look the other way, um, on this throughout the quarantine? Do we just kind of let it happen? This is something that families are struggling with all 
over the place, especially with teenagers, especially with teenage boys. This is happening a lot. Um, I don't encourage you to look the other way, um, but this is a very good time for, one of two things is happening with my pot smoking young clients. Either they're smoking a lot in order to avoid boredom, or they're not smoking at all because they can't get their hands on it. So if you want to really make a dent in that habit, I have never, ever, since the onset of vaping and the first kid I ever worked with who smoked pot, I've never seen a time like this where there's an opportunity to shift that habit. For the first time in my career, I am working with young people who are kind of in the mindset of, I'm not smoking now, I might not smoke. I might just not do that for now. So this would not be a bad time to bring this up to your son or your daughter and, um, and say, you know what? We're all quarantined, we're all kind of in the same boat. Um, we get that it's really hard to just stop these habits, but you know what? Let's try it. You know, like literally like challenge them to an experiment. And if, you're, if there's some habit that you feel like you want to change of your own, join in and say, I'll shift this if you're willing to shift that and let's support each other through this. This is working, oddly enough, in families. So I would absolutely address that. I would pay attention to that. One more, one more question. Um, do you have thoughts on technology limits? I understand we're in a pandemic, but my kids seem to quickly get addicted to games. Yes, kids do quickly get addicted to games. Um, in any other time, I would give an extended lecture on technology limits. But when kids are playing games right now, if you listen to your kids, um, I'm hearing parents say, yeah, my two boys are downstairs and they're both on Xboxes, but I can hear them laughing. I can hear them talking to each other, challenging each other and talking to their friends. This is another way that kids are talking to their friends and connecting with them. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time putting limits on that right now. We'll get to it another time, but right now that social contact is so important that I would let the line out. So where I would normally say two hours, if you tell me your, ch your child is on a screen for five or six, but they're connecting with friends through a lot of that, I'm all in for that. I think that's fine for now. So to summarize, all the rules are kind of out the window for now. So as parents, I can tell you unequivocally, you're doing a great job. If you are making it through these days, if your kids are alive, clothed, eating, and you know not killing each other, well done, keep it up. That's the lane you need to be in. Does everyone need to get along perfectly? No, it's not happening. Are things escalating? Maybe, and if they do, that's okay too. You're doing just fine, keep it up. And if you get little inroads for connections, if you get the opportunity to play the game, take it. If you don't, that's okay too. No matter what's going on right now, you get permission, you're doing the right things, and hang in there, you guys. I feel for all you parents, and, um, and we'll be back in this space. So if you have any thoughts for the next couple of so weeks. Next, next, thir next Thursday, same time, right? Just do it, yeah. Next Thursday, same time. if there's time. any questions we missed, we'll definitely do them then. And if there's any questions we missed, we will definitely <laughs> do them, them then. And we will yeah. address them then. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, this 48 minutes, you guys. Um, good to talk to you. Be healthy. Be safe. I will talk to you next week. Take care.